You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Last night in the World Baseball Classic, we got the matchup we all wanted. But it didn't end well for the boys in the red, white, and blue. Welcome into Crunch Time right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We are broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. 3-2 final score, Japan takes down the United States in the championship of the World Baseball Classic, giving Japan their third WBC title. The United States was one run away from getting their second consecutive title in the event held every three years. You look at the game last night, and you look at the way that the scoring went, it was all via the homer, except for one Japan run in the second inning. We'll get to that in a second. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon. Happy hump day. How the hell are you? Happy hump day, Matt. Doing good. How about you? I'm good. The week is halfway over. We are. Well, technically, technically for us, since we don't have a show on Friday... It's Thursday. Practically. Which is not bad. It's not a bad feeling. So last night, again, the scoring started for the U.S. in the second inning with a Trey Turner home run. Trey Turner continued his stretch of dominance through the World Baseball Classic. And then it was immediately answered in the bottom of the second with two runs by Japan via a home run by Murakami, and then an RBI ground out from Lars Newbar. And then in the fourth, Japan gets another home run from Okamoto to make it 3-1. to one. And then it stayed 3-1 to one for a very long time until the eighth inning when Kyle Schwarber hit a homer to right center to make it 3-2. to two. And then you get to the ninth. And we talked yesterday about Shohei Otani getting the, or, or having the possibility of pitching in relief. And then with that, we were hoping we would be able to see a Shohei Otani-Mike Trout matchup. Shohei Otani comes on in the ninth inning. They get a double play. And with two outs. Mike Trout steps up. We see Trout. And it was a very good at-bat. I know it it didn't end well for the Americans, but it was a very strong six-pitch at-bat. It went ball, strike, ball, strike, ball, strike. That's exactly how it went. And the two pitches that Otani got Trout to swing on, the first two strikes, were fastballs right down the heart of the plate at about 101 miles an hour. Both of them. And Trout was just late. He just couldn't catch up to it. And so then you get the third ball, and it's a 3-2 count, and you're thinking Otani's got him to swing through two fastballs already. He's going to come with a third fastball. 
But then Shohei threw probably one of the dirtiest sliders that I have ever seen. That thing started on the right half of the plate and landed, I don't know, six inches to the left of the plate, went straight across. And Mike Trout, poor guy, never had a chance. Never had a chance. I wonder how often Trout and Otani have gone each other in practice. To be honest, probably not that often. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, most guys, are, are there unless it's a sim game. Yeah, which, you're usually just having the coaches. Right, just, coaches are throwing you BP. Yeah. So they, they probably haven't faced off against each other all that often, uh, which is why it was so cool to see it happen last night. Mm-hmm. But you know, you look at it, and, and you look at Shohei Otani, and you look at Mike Trout. Obviously, they both play for the Los Angeles Angels, and Kevin Foote calls them the, the little MVPs because they have two MVP players on their team, and yet they never do anything with it. We're gonna see more of the same this year. Probably, probably, yeah, <laughs> probably. The Angels, it, it, it's. It's those two and then not much. So two players can't carry a whole franchise. The Los Angeles Angels remind me of the Atlanta Hawks from like three years ago. Really good team, had a lot of expectations, can get to the first, maybe second round of the playoffs, and then they just absolutely bottom out. Because when Trey Young first got into the NBA and you had John Collins and Clint Capella and there was talks of Atlanta being on their way and they were just a piece or two away from being an absolute fantastic NBA team. And then it wasn't. Kind of seeing the same thing with the Angels. You have Shohei Otani, you have Mike Trout, two legendary generational talents. And what have you done with it? Now it's to the point where you don't know if you're going to be able to even keep both of them long term. It it just, I question if there's an issue with upper management at that point. Because again, how do you have these two generational talents and never win? Never win. It just does not make sense to me. Speaking of Major League Baseball, we'll go to the Houston Astros now. Jose Altuve had a successful surgery on his right thumb earlier today, and he will not resume baseball activities for at least two months. He was hit with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball Saturday in the World Baseball Classic. And he had his surgery in Houston, and he will stay in Houston while the Astros finish their final week of spring training over in West Palm Beach. And according to the Astros, he will not be ready to return to the lineup until at least late May. Mauricio Dubon is expected to move into the Astros lineup to replace Altuve. And also, in other team news, Hunter Brown has been scratched from his scheduled start. 
against the Mets tonight in spring training. Manager Dusty Baker told reporters that he has Hunter Brown has discomfort in his lower back. Not a good start to what's going to be the regular season next week for the Houston Astros. But then you look at the Pelicans and the injury bug and the injury woes just continue for those guys. You got somewhat okay news about Zion. Yeah, Jose's, Jose Alvarado and Zion Williamson, they were announced by the team that they will be reevaluated in two and three, two to three weeks for both of them, which is like, okay, that's not the worst. However, if you've been keeping up with the records and how many games are left, the Pelicans have played 72 games, and there's an 82-game season, so quick math, you only got 10 games left, and you're only playing three or four games a night, or a week, I'm sorry. So in two weeks, two, you're going to be done in two and a half, three weeks. Correct. And you have to make up, at a minimum, half a game right now. Because you are tied for 11th. You're 13 games back, and the Utah Jazz and Minnesota Timberwolves are at 9 and 10, 12 and a half games back. So you. And, th- and this isn't to say that Zion and Jose will be back in two weeks. This no, is a reevaluation. They're, they're getting reevaluated. But the slight positive to Zion's news is that he has been cleared to resume on court activities. Mm-hmm. Which means he can begin practicing with the team. So that's a step in the right direction. However, is it too little too late for this year? Because as it stands right now, you're not making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You're not even making the play in. Let let's say and let's let's go with the hypothetical. Let's say you do get into the play in. Even then. You playing in those two games because you'd likely be the ten seed if you're going to play in the in the playing tournament. You'd have to win, and then win again, to be able to just get to the eight seed. This man don't think the Pelicans can win two games in a row. No, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm saying if you were to do all that, you probably wouldn't have Zion till a game or a couple games into that opening no, playoff you're abso- series. You're absolutely right. So you wouldn't even have Zion more likely than not. For the play-in. At the earliest, you would probably have them for game one of the playoff series. Unless there's some absolute miracle where they're like, yeah, we did the reevaluation and he'll be back in a couple of games. So like he would make his his long-awaited, not debut, but he would be back with a game left in the regular season. But then at that point, you're like, well, there's no almost no point. Correct. You'd want, you want to get him whatever action you can. For sure, but it's like, are you going to mess with the lineup whenever you are looking for every single game you can just to get in? That's going to that's gonna mess with the minutes, and everybody's so used to you not being on the court. The Pelicans just can't get it right. I, it, It's almost... I, I'm, all, I'm almost... Are you starting to reconsider mm, maybe maybe try and trade them when no. you can? No. No? You're still on, no. not on that train? I, I I don't think it would make a difference. 
because I think whatever you got for him mm-hmm. would end up hurt. I think the Pelicans are just cursed. I mean, think about it. Every superstar they have had gets hurt. Every single one of them. Chris Paul was the healthiest while in New Orleans. Correct. But even he dealt with some issues. And then Anthony Davis, I mean, that poor guy played 50 games a year, if you were lucky. And then Zion... Has played less than a third of his games in his career. Now, look, we, we, we say that, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that I disagree with that statement. He's missed the better part of two seasons. But that season in the middle, he played 80% of it. Mm-hmm. He played in 62 games. But you got to figure out a way for him to play 55-plus games consistently. Starting next season. Because if you don't, you're never going to get anywhere. And the thing that bugs me is that you know this previous offseason, and, and I, I fell victim to it too, Everybody said, oh, look out for the Pelicans. The the Pelicans can be scary if they stay healthy. And they stayed healthy for a little bit. And there's the if. Zion played 30 games, and in those 30 games, he looked like an MVP caliber talent. And then hasn't seen the floor since. Brandon Ingram has struggled to stay on the floor. Jose Alvarado is now dealing with injuries. Herb Jones has been in and out with injuries. They can't seem to get it right. And then C.J. McCollum might as well be injured because the way he's inconsistent. One night he drops 40, and the next night he may drop 15. Like, he's just so up and down, up and down all season long that he might as well be missing time with injuries too. So the the Pelicans are going to have to figure it out. But on today's show, Chris Roseville is going to join us at 4.30. We're going to talk all things Saints. And then Bob Pockris from Fox Sports, he's going to join us at 5.30 to talk all things NASCAR as they head down to Austin this weekend for the Circuit of the Americas. We'll do that throughout today's show. Call us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns run-ruled Grambling by 12 last night. And they scored eight in one inning. We'll recap that game next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help. Join our rewards club to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now, back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
our strike zone discipline. I don't know how many walks we drew tonight, but uh, how many walks we have? Eight. Eight, several hit batters. They provided a lot of opportunity for us, and then we were able to just start cashing in. Used our legs really well tonight, and I think we had 10 more stolen bases, and uh, that's been a big plus for us. So, uh, But, yeah, I like the way Sam Hill threw the baseball. David Christie, I thought, was about to throw immaculate inning right there, and the kid fouled the ball off. Uh, able to get two freshmen in at the back, which was good, get their feet wet, and, uh, you know, keep this thing rolling. Louisiana was able to take down Grambling in seven innings last night, 13-1, to in a game that was played in only two hours and nine minutes at Russo Park. Sam Hill getting the win, his first win of the season. Jeremiah Newman was the losing pitcher for Grambling, and he falls to 0-3 on the season. The game started very rocky for the Cajuns. There was a hit-by-pitch. And he went on to steal second. You walked the next batter. So there was quickly runners on first and second with nobody out. And then a wild pitch moved both runners up. So you had runners at second and third with nobody out. And then you had an RBI fly out to score the first run of the game. And then you, you settled down and were able to get the last two outs after that. Uh, and then the Cajuns opened their scoring with... Or, or opened their game, excuse me, with a double. Leadoff batter hits a double. So you say, you say okay, the, the Cajuns are going to answer this pretty quickly. No, three straight outs. Stranded them on third. Um, and, and then from there, really, the Cajuns started to, to wake up a little bit at that point. Um, and, and the reason that they were able to do it was base stealing. The Cajuns came into this game ranked 7th nationally in stolen bases. And they definitely helped that ranking last night, stealing 10 bags against Grambling last night, three away from the program record for a single game with 13. And you know what's so crazy? We we talk about how they're 7th in the nation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's absolutely insane that you're 7th in the nation in a – pretty good category of statistics Mm -hmm. but even then with how often we've seen louisiana steal bases seventh almost feels low Mm -hmm. you feel like they should be at least top three with how often we've seen especially recently Mm -hmm. we've had what three games last three games individually where there's been at least 10 bases stolen yeah i mean they've they've done some great work on the base paths so far this year and you know last night the first run of the game for Louisiana was scored on a double steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who was on first? Will Vayon was on first after getting walked. He takes off for second, and the second the catcher pops up to throw it to second, John Taylor takes off for home. Both of them were safe. So you tied the game at one, and then Vayon scores. Vayon steals third. So in this inning, you had one, two, three, four. Four stolen bases in that one inning. Mm-hmm. And that's that's impressive enough alone. But it's like they had seven in the first inning against Arkansas State last Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and Matt Deggs talked about it after the game last night, how this team has been able to keep themselves in a lot of contests so far this season by stealing bases. 
Yeah, it's, it, we can only take what they give us. And when you see a, a chink in the armor, you just kind of start chipping away at it and exposing it and exposing it. And some teams we can't do that against. Uh, and so you got to play more straight up. But tonight was an opportunity, and we've had several of those opportunities lately uh, to, to use our legs. And we'll do that when it presents itself. But that's not something you can force. Uh, you know, they, they weren't real quick to the plate. And, and then, you know, our speed was just able to outrun some balls. And so uh, we took what they gave us. So I looked up the statistics because I'm, you, you got me curious when talking about the Cajuns only being seventh. Who's in front of them and how far behind are they? So the Cajuns are ranked seventh as of today. In 20 games played, 61 stolen bases. And they've been caught stealing 17 times. So tonight's game is going to be incredibly entertaining because Southeastern's fifth in stolen bases. They have 64 stolen bases, and they've only been caught 10 times. It's a robber game. Oh, there's going to be a lot of stolen bases tonight. At least a lot of attempts. Over under 10 total? 10 total? Probably going to take the over on that. That's a a nice line. But the, the leader... Is VMI 91 stolen bases so far on the season? They are averaging four and a half stolen bases per game, and they've only been caught 15 times. Campbell is 11th, McNeese is 13th, Troy is tied for 17th. There's a lot of base stealing going on in Louisiana. And, and, you know, you you look at the Rage and Cajuns, we, we talked about the way that they were able to score eight runs in one inning. They did that in the bottom of the fifth. You know that it was a good inning for you when you bat around. You bat all the way around. Julian Brock opened the inning with a home run to left field to make it 6-1. to one. Grambling changes pitchers. Cajuns have a pinch hitter. You end up going single, ground out, walk, steal, walk, hit by a pitch. So the bases are loaded at this point. Heath Hood gets a two RBI single to center field. John Taylor gets hit by a pitch. So the bases are loaded once again for Julian Brock, who, keep in mind, homered to open the inning. He faces four pitches. And then he absolutely tattoos one to left center off the scoreboard to make it 13-1. to one. Two home runs in the same inning. He totaled six RBIs on the night. And it was his second grand slam in the last three games. Head coach Matt Deggs talked about his catcher. Oh, man, he's a big leaguer for sure. And, uh, you know, he still has a lot to improve on with his game as far as, you know, receiving and just the finer parts of catching. But, you know, he finished the season so well offensively. He's got a natural end-out swing where the ball can travel. He never has to jump out. Uh, He can see pitches longer than anybody we have. And uh, that's what he did all fall, what you're seeing now. And that's the way he finished the year last year. 
And one thing, uh, one more thing that I found so interesting with the Cajuns is in college baseball, one thing that you always love to see is when a freshman steps onto campus and, you know, you use the term earn your spot, but you love when you watch a kid take a spot. Like he walks in and says, I'm going to take your spot in the lineup. And Ben Robichaux has done that. There was a point 15 games into the season, 14 games into the season, that Ben Robichaux was a spot pitch hit, pinch hitter. And now he has become the Cajuns leadoff hitter as a designated hitter. Reason being is the young man finds a way to get on base at all cost. So looking at his statistics so far this season, he has he has appeared in 12 games. He has now started four. He has 17 at-bats. James, his on-base percentage? 609. The young man finds a way to get on base. It may not always be pretty. May not always be, you know, a, a double into left field. But as long as he gets on base. But he finds his way on base. Mm-hmm. Because then it creates opportunities for the Cajuns to get more stolen bases. And in his 13 times out of 17 at-bats, he's been on base 13 times this season. He already has five stolen bases. He is chaos on the base path. He finds his way on base, and he makes things happen for Louisiana and head coach Matt Deggs talked about his freshman DH out of Catholic High in Baton Rouge. Yeah, it's something you can think, man, that the coaches weren't playing him. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Never know until you put him out there. (laughs) (laughs) He's pretty impressive and it's quiet too. It's there's not a lot to it. And I thought I thought one of the biggest to answer your question. I thought one of the biggest keys was Ben scoring on that that wild pitch uh, that got away like four or five feet, and that was kind of the backbreaker. He said, and to think the coaches weren't playing him. He he, Mad Deggs threw a subtle jab at himself. That's fantastic. You gotta love when a guy does that. We'll take a timeout. Chris Rose the glue of Boot Crew Media joins us next. We'll talk all things Saints. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This March, you got to protect yourself against all these crazy upsets with Bracket Parlay Insurance on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, all customers can get up to $25 back each day if your parlay of three legs or more falls just one leg short. I'm going to take Houston, Alabama, and UCLA to all win the next round matchups and with a parlay you can turn a small bet into a slam dunk and then with cash out you're going to be calling the shots because you can close out your bet whenever you want before the game is over just sign into your FanDuel Sportsbook account or go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB to sign up today that's FanDuel.com slash KLWB make every moment more with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook you must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only Bonus issued is not withdrawable bonus best expires seven days after the receipt. Max bonus $25 per day unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fandle.com slash sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 
1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 437 here on your hump day. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company specializing in new multifamily construction. Hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. The New Orleans Saints made two moves last night to bolster up the defense by signing safety Jonathan Abram, a former first-round pick out of the Las Vegas Raiders, and then retaining defensive lineman Malcolm Roach. But the question now becomes, will they sign Foster Moreau? Chris Roseviglou of Boot Crew Media joins us on the game hotline to talk about that and much more. Chris, thanks for taking the time, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So question number one that I have is that Dennis Allen and Jeff Ireland were spotted at Ohio State Media Day, I mean, Ohio State's Pro Day, earlier today. Are you surprised? Uh, not really. I think, if anything, the Saints should probably make this a yearly thing with the success rate they've had with Ohio right. State prospects. Uh, and in reality, whether it's looking at the offensive line talent, whether it's looking at uh, Jackson, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, there's options where, hey, look, the Saints are in a spot at 29 where they could move up, they could go BPA, depending on how the board shakes out. So uh, I just see it as doing their due diligence and knowing that they have created a really strong pipeline between Ohio State and New Orleans. Now, what are your thoughts on the signing of Jonathan Abram, a former first-round pick that really just hasn't panned out thus far in the NFL? Yeah, I think the way I look at it is kind of simple in the sense that it's one of those very low-risk, potentially high-reward type of moves where, look, Abram was a first-round pick for a reason. The talent's always been there. And when you watch him on film, his greatest strength might be his greatest weakness, and that's his aggression. And I think you could watch him on tape and think, all right, he's a thumper, he'll play hard in the run game. And that is true, but there are times where he does whiff because of that aggressive style that he plays with. And I think for New Orleans, it's about keeping him close to the line of scrimmage, keeping him in the box, and seeing if you can limit – those like whiffs per se when he's trying to make a big play and I think coverage has always been kind of a weak point in his game even when you look back at Mississippi State but again not a not a lucrative contract so you don't have to worry about having a huge investment here you're taking a shot on a guy who's still in his mid-20s has a lot of room to grow and if it doesn't work out so be it you know we, we saw last year whether it was with the Seahawks whether it was with the Raiders we saw Abram kind of bounce around, and, and teams try to take a shot, and, and teams will always take a chance on guys like him who have a lot of talent. And, and the plus side is you don't have to worry about any potential headache with him. So low risk. We'll see what happens. It could just be another camp body for now, but at the very least, I like the idea of New Orleans taking a shot here. And then what did you think of last week's signing at a much-needed position, getting Jamal Williams at running back, not only for on the field, but also in the locker room? Yeah, see, that's one of those moves that, you know, I feel strong about saying from now, I love it. And it kind of goes to what you said. It's not just that you're getting an 1,000-yard rusher. You're getting a guy who led the league in rushing touchdowns last season. You're getting a great personality fit. And for people who loved watching the Lions last year and seeing them take that next step, Jamal Williams was a big part because he was the type of veteran that came in, immediately bought into Dan Campbell's culture, and he kind of spread that word about the type of team they want to be, the, the physicality they want to play with. And – 
I think for New Orleans, they're going to absolutely benefit off that. He's a perfect fit for that locker room with his personality. And in terms of his skill set, he's a perfect complement to Alvin Kamara where he'll handle those short yard situations. He'll be very productive in goal line situations. And that's what New Orleans has always needed. And I think for them, it was going back to having that kind of dual threat attack, that two-headed monster at running back that we haven't really seen for the last couple of years. And we all know how just lethal Mark and Alvin used to be when you had them both in their primes. And I think for New Orleans, this is a chance to kind of turn back the clock and go in that direction. So, I like the move, and similar to you know what I said with Abram before, this is another move that's not costing you much. Three years, $12 million for a player who just had the best season of his career, and when this contract finishes, you're not going to have to worry about, oh, him being old and at the perfect time of his career. I definitely love the move. That's what astonished me with, with, the, Jonathan, with the Jamal Williams move is the fact that you got him for so cheap. Why, why do you think that is? I think, unfortunately, it's just the way people value running backs right now. It's it's almost one of those situations where if you're not in that upper echelon, if you're not Derrick Henry, if you're not Christian McCaffrey, if you're not Alvin Kamara, and you're not due for that new contract after, let's say, three years, four years of, of when you first entered the NFL, I think you kind of enter that tough spot where it's like, okay, your best offer might just be what Jamal got with the Saints. And it, it really does kind of stink to say, but Think about when Mark Ingram left the Saints and he went to the Ravens, and it was actually a very similar offer to the one that Jamal just signed. And, and it's just kind of the market right now. And oddly enough, it's happening for other positions. I mean, tight ends, another spot where we're kind of seeing guys like a Mike Kosicki who people would think, oh, they would get paid well. And, and then you see it's a one-year deal for up to $9 million. It's not basically as expensive as people thought. So I think it comes down to position. And when you see guys like Jameer Gibbs, you see guys like B. John Robinson coming out in this year's class, I think teams rather say, you know what, we'll go for the younger guy on a cheaper salary and, and we'll go from there rather than spend the money. But in terms of value, three years, $12 million, you, you definitely can't go wrong there. Chatting with Chris Rosevaglu of Boot Crew Media here on Crunch Time. I brought up Foster Moreau earlier as a guy that the Saints could potentially be looking at. I know he visited the facility late last week. But the idea that he already has a relationship with Derek Carr, grew up in New Orleans, went to Jesuit High School, went to LSU, it, it just seems to make almost too much sense for the Saints. It really does. And I think the only thing that would make me go, you know what, I can see him not signing with the Saints is I think there might be a compelling offer to be made from the Bengals where they lost Hayden Hurst, they're looking to get better at tight end, and the idea of teaming up with Joe Burrow and, and being the unquestioned guy in Cincinnati could be appealing. But to what you mentioned about New Orleans, you know that you, you don't have to get on the same page with your quarterback because you've been working with the same quarterback. That's a bonus. You mentioned him being a New Orleans native. That obviously helps in terms of adjusting to the lifestyle and, and making sure you're acclimated with the new culture. That's not going to be a problem at all. But I think for the fit, Foster Moreau would give the, the Saints something that they don't have right now, and that is a complete tight end. And he's not as dangerous as a receiver as Juwan Johnson. I get that. And I wouldn't say he's as good of a blocker as Adam Trauma. But when you put his skill set together, he would give the Saints that tight end that when you have him on the field, you don't tip your hand. You don't know if they're running. You don't know if they're throwing because he can do both. And I think the fact that he can block and receive, and you saw last year when Darren Waller went down, he really stepped up. That makes him a, a really attractive option for the Saints. And I mentioned the tight end market before. You're seeing guys like Dalton Schultz and Mike Kosicki who are considered better options. They're getting one-year deals. They're not getting nearly as much money as people thought they would. So I don't think this would be one that breaks the bank, and I definitely think 
It would help the Saints give them another weapon, shore up the tight end group, and then you go into the draft kind of thinking, all right, let's see if we could stock up on some young defensive talent and go from there. So uh, I would definitely be for this move if it were to happen, but I also can see the Saints having to compete with a team like the Bengals for his services. And speaking of the draft, Chris, looking at the first two, the 29 and 40, at this point you signed a bunch of interior defensive linemen, but you let go of Marcus Davenport. I, in my mock draft, I had gone with Brian Brisey and B.J. Jolari just really hitting on the defensive line. Where do you see the Saints going, even though there's no particular place where it's like, oh, they need to hit this pick in this position? Yeah, I think the Saints are putting them in a really good spot where I think when you look at the structure of this team, the idea of BPA sounds really nice at 29, but if there's a player that they feel pretty good about, and you mentioned Brisey, and I I think he might be a a player that Dennis Allen just can't ignore because of his skill set. I mean, we're talking about about a guy who was a number one recruit coming out of high school. If they feel like, hey, we're sitting at 29, what does it take to move up to 22 to 23? It wouldn't shock me. It's kind of been in their MO in the past to kind of move up and get their guy, and I think either way, I feel like the pick will be for the defensive line, and it could be there. You could look at a guy from Iowa in Van Ness, and he's been another prospect that people have liked. And I, I think that at the end of the day for New Orleans, you got to get younger and you got to get more explosive on the D line. And I love that they added Saunders. I love that they added Shepard. I think that they needed to revamp that unit anyway. But how about adding a little bit more fresh blood and, and adding a, a potential start at that D line where they've really hurt themselves over the last couple of years is that Davenport couldn't really consistently be the player that he was in 2021. And then for Peyton Turner, the skill's there, but we're not seeing it consistently. And, and maybe he does step up this season, and that would be great news for the Saints, but they can't bank on that. So I think that's definitely something to look at. Uh, you mentioned Ojolari. I think that's another player who keeps getting continuously linked to the Saints. And if the Saints are going to say, okay, one pick at 29, one pick at 40, not moving up, he makes a lot of sense, especially if they could get him in that number 40 spot. I feel like that would be tremendous value there. But either way, Saints will have options. I know people love uh, the pit defensive lineman. Uh, in Kansas, he's another guy who would just be just a tremendous fit for them. We'll see where they'll go, but I, I definitely think they'll have options, and they'll also have the ability, if they want, move up a couple of spots and and solidify that D line. We'll see how it all shakes out, but I think the Saints have put themselves in a real nice spot here. Chris, as we start to wrap up, do you feel like Mickey Loomis has more free agency signings to make? You know, I mean, they have the money too if they want, and I think for New Orleans them looking into to Foster Moreau kind of tells you if they can, they would like to add one more pass catcher, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense there. Uh, and I think for New Orleans after that, you kind of just let the market sit and go the way it does. Think about last year. I mean, Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry, they didn't really join the Saints until way after the first couple of waves of free agency were, were well passed. So I think you could maybe make one more signing within the next two days that is considered one of those flash signings or notable moves, and then after, kind of see how the market flows, and I think New Orleans could do what they usually do, which is bring in a good bet or two at a really reasonable price. So they definitely have the money to spend. They definitely have other holes that they need to address, but I think for now they'll probably play it smart and make sure they let the, the market play out and, and make sure they don't overpay. Chris Rosevaglou of Boot Crew Media joining us here on the Game Hotline talking all things New Orleans Saints. Chris, appreciate your time, and uh, let's do it again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And there he goes, Chris Rosevaglou of Boot Crew Media. Man, the the draft is just getting it, it's getting to the point where 
you almost have to talk about it every day. Like it's getting to that point. And call me crazy, I've always been a draft nut. You're crazy. I'm a draft nut. I am that guy that will leave my TV on on day three of the draft. And you'll just come back every once in a while and right. see, what, see what's happened. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to sit there glued to it, but that's what my TV is going to be on on that Saturday. Because I have to just keep up with what's going on. Isn't it so funny how on day three, everything's so fast-paced. They're like If you're watching NFL Network or ESPN, it, it's just going... And they're talking about one guy from three picks ago. Right. Well, it's like you're looking at you're looking at the pick one seventy one or whatever, and you're looking at the bottom of the screen like, oh, the pick is in for the Cardinals at one seventy at one seventy eight. It's this, and you're like, okay, we're right. We're, we're eventually going to catch up. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's so funny how fast paced it is on day three. It, it's so quick because it's to the point where once you get to round four, you're kind of like, all right, let let's speed this up. Not not really much of a spectacle anymore. Let's just call some kids names and and, and move on. Um, but no, the, the it's draft pretty much is, a first come first serve at that point, right? The draft is so much fun, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing what Mickey Loomis will do with this year's NFL draft class. We'll take a time out, wrap up hour number one right after this. This is crunch time on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to see the defending World Series champions in person, well, then you're in luck because the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our first Astros weekend getaway of the season. Houston takes on the Texas Rangers on April 15th, and you can be there by registering in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com. We have four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night that could be yours. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Merida in Houston downtown, and the game. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to hour number one as we are broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in multifamily construction. Let's look at the foodie poll question of the day. This one's a little interesting, Matt. What's your favorite hot dog related item? Because you know the classic hot dog. You're looking at a corn dog. You're looking at maybe pigs in a blanket or maybe something else. God, what else would there be? I mean, actually, I had seen one of the comments that I remember, like, you know, just cutting up a hot dog and then just throwing in some spaghetti noodles. No. You never did that? You never had that as a kid? No. I mean, no? Yeah, I, I did, but it's not <laughs> good. Just, I'm not I'm not saying it was good. You're just saying what else was there. Man, I guess that's a fair I gave point. gave you another option. I'm going corn dog. You're going corn dog? I have loved corn dogs my entire life. Oh, that just works so well for you. I walked right into that, didn't I? <laughs> I walked right into that. And, and not just on a stick. Mm-hmm. Like the mini corn dogs? Did they sell like the freezer section of yeah. a grocery store? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, little dude, bites. I will tear those things up. Dip them in some honey mustard. 
Oh, man. Done. Done. I'd probably go with a regular dog almost and then just throw a bunch of stuff on it. Because mm. I'm not bi- I'm not big on chili dogs. I don't like chili. No. I don't like chili. I'm not big on the hot dog in the spaghetti. And pig in a blanket, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe a little too much pastry. So what, do, then, you, what do you put on and, your hot dog? Oh, I put a lot. What do you put on your hot dogs? Uh... I do like a line on on one side of the bun for mustard. Okay. Uh, on the other side, on the other another line of mayo on the other side of the bun. In the middle, okay. ketchup, uh, onions, cheese, maybe relish if I if I'm feeling crazy today. And then maybe something else. So here's here here's the but that's best. that's kind of what I usually go for. Here's the best way I've ever had a hot dog, and this is probably the most gourmet hot dog I've ever had in my life. One side of the bun, mm-hmm. ketchup. Okay. One side of the bun, honey mustard. Okay. Stick the hot dog in the middle. As you usually do. Caramelized onions. Okay. Bacon bits. And then chopped jalapenos. That doesn't sound bad. And then oh, cheese on top? Dude. Dude. Cheese on top? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh man, the cheese is mandatory. Oh, absolutely. I put cheese on everything. Ah, absolutely. One of the best. That, that, oh man, God, I can make it. I can make. I can open my own restaurant selling those. Hour number one in the books. We'll do hour number two next. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's our number two of Crunch Time here on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, hit us up on the game hotline. It's 337-706-0111 in hour number one. It's a lot of ones there. We talked about the Pelicans. We talked about the World Baseball Classic, and we looked at the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Here in hour number two, we're going to have a conversation about NASCAR with our guy Bob Pockers of Fox Sports. We're also going to talk about Louisiana Raging Cajun softball. You'll hear from head coach Jerry Glasgow from his presser earlier in the week. Looking at some top stories in sports, though, currently, the Jets have made two deals today for their wide receiver core. They have signed Mecole Hardman from the Chiefs and then traded Elijah Moore to the Browns. So now... James, I'm going to bring you in here because we've had this conversation before uh, about the Jets receiver core. Did it just get better? I feel like it almost kind of stayed about the same. You get two different types of guys because Miko was kind of more of a speedy guy, whereas you would put more Elijah Moore in the slot. So it you got two different types of guys. I, I don't remember Miko Hardman being on Aaron Rodgers' list. But I no. mean, go off. I think I think with this, I think if anything, if he would have, if Elijah Moore would have stayed in New York, it probably would have been a good situation since you would think Aaron Rodgers would be going to the Jets. 
but let's say Aaron Rodgers for some reason doesn't. I think it's it's to me it's an easy upgrade for Elijah Moore going from Zach Wilson to Deshaun Watson easily. I think he's going to have a better opportunity because you've already got Amari Cooper on the outside playing the X, getting a lot of attention, and then him being in the slot, it's a good dump off for Deshaun so, Watson to get easier completions. So you think this is a better move for Moore? I think this is a solid move for Moore because unless he was going to play with Aaron Rodgers, I'd much rather play with Deshaun Watson than Zach Wilson. I don't disagree. Um, but one thing that, that I find interesting is the fact that, like you mentioned, McCole Hardman was not on Aaron Rodgers' list. Randall Cobb was. Mm-hmm. And yet you haven't signed Randall Cobb yet. Signed Alan Lazard, though. You did sign Alan Lazard, which was a step in the right direction. And now you've given him Nicole Hardman, which is a great deep threat receiver. Surprised he didn't ask for Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson's like 50 years old. I know. It's the joke. Also bringing Donald Driver. How much, realistically, where's the percentage at for... Aaron Rodgers to the Jets to the Jets in your opinion where's it at I'm I'm looking at it him going to the Jets it's a 90% type of thing so you think it's just about done like I, I feel like this is relatively close it's just this is being dragged on for Aaron Rodgers personal reasons and I'm sure the Jets and the Packers making sure like hey let's get all the financials because that's a big financial responsibility that the Jets will be picking up with that Aaron Rodgers contract and also figuring out the whole trade details. You see, the other day when the news came out, I thought that it was 90-95%. But the longer that it drags on, in my you opinion, get more and more worried. the percentage goes down. Now I'm chilling at about 85-80. to 80. So still very likely, but the, the longer that the, this drags out, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of the teams or Aaron Rodgers says, look, I'm done with this. I'll go somewhere else. I don't need to go to the Jets. I think if someone were to pull out, it would be the Jets. For, or Not the Jets. It would be Aaron Rodgers. Because Carolina still needs a quarterback. I'm just saying. They I, do. I know they have the number one overall pick. But they still need a quarterback, and I guarantee you they would take Aaron Rodgers over a rookie. Even if that rookie was the number one overall pick. I mean, they've got Andy Dalton right now. Andy Dalton. We know how well that worked. So I'm just interested to see how much longer this goes on because also – the other thing is, Aaron Rodgers said this the other day. Before he went into his darkness retreat, he was almost certain that he was going to retire. You think it reaches the point that maybe he just decides to retire anyway? Let's go to the game hotline now. David, what's going on? Oh, not much. Um, the retiring part for Rodgers, I would say no. But I've got a couple of questions for you guys. Okay. So with, with what's going on with Aaron Rodgers? Do you all say he goes to the Jets and he brings along whomever they, you know, get in the trade and the, the other players that they'll sign through free agency? 
Do you all believe that the Jets actually have a chance to win the Super Bowl? Not just make the playoffs, but win the Super Bowl, knowing that you've got Kansas City, Buffalo, up-and-coming Miami, if Tua is healthy, and maybe the Ravens if Lamar returns. No, I don't. What are the Jets' chances of actually getting through that gauntlet and winning a Super Bowl? I don't don't think there's much of a chance at all. Um, Because, look, if it was Aaron Rodgers three years ago, I, I I would label the Jets as a contender. This Aaron Rodgers... You saw this year. I know he put. He ended up putting good numbers, but you could just tell that he was declining. And so, I, does he make them better? Yes. Do I think that they seriously contend to win their division with the Bills? Yes. But do I think that they win the Super Bowl? No. No, I don't. And, and also, you saying this makes me think that hey. Green Bay may want a king's ransom for... Well, they've got the leverage. But do you think that any team is willing, that the Jets are really willing to give up the king's ransom? It, it is the New York Jets we're talking about here. If, if, if they don't give up the king's ransom, they got to go back to Zach Wilson. Man. I don't know about that. I just even I, even if the Jets really want him, I don't know if the Jets are that confident that they can actually win a Super Bowl with the teams I mentioned, and maybe even you know, um, isn't who's in Denver now? Is Denver still AFC? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm asking in the AFC. Denver is still in the AFC with Correct. Sean Payton, right? Correct. So even though Sean Payton may be able to pull a little miracle out there in Denver, you never know. Yeah, you you, you don't. Um, but but no, I don't think Aaron Rodgers makes the Jets a Super Bowl contender. I think that he makes them a better team, but not a Super Bowl contender. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Appreciate the call, man. James, do, do you think Aaron Rodgers makes the Jets a Super Bowl contender? I think it moves their percentage of making the Super Bowl a lot higher. But if I'm, if you told me, name five teams that are most likely to go to the Super Bowl next year, the Jets aren't. The one Jets of them. are not one of them. I'd put that on the outside. I'd say they would be in that six to nine range, for sure. I'd put them in that six to nine range, but I can't put them in the top five likely to win or go to the Super Bowl because you still got to think about the Jets or still got to think about the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Eagles, the Forty ers Like the Jags could take another step forward. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of teams out there. Mm-hmm. Denver could come out of nowhere and go from worst to first. Baltimore, maybe they finally figure it out. The Cowboys. Cowboys, after 30 million years, finally figure it out. Who knows? But I'd put I'd put the Jets Minnesota. In, in, in the back half of the, of the 10 likeliest chances. Minnesota. I mean, you've, you've got five or six teams that are legit options to win a Super Bowl, and then you've got about eight or nine that you're like, well, you know, if they do this, this, and this, maybe. Uh, and, and Minnesota is definitely one of those teams, you know, if a couple of things click in the right direction for them, I mean, they could very well be in the mix. Um, I mean, they, they were they were in the mix last year. Look at the New York Giants. They're, the Giants could could make a run at something here. Let's go back to the hotline now. T, what's up? 
Hey, what's up? It's you, man. Um, Been all right? Absolutely, sir. How are you? Oh, dude, just enjoying my little bubba. That's it. My little grandson. They're the best, He's aren't they? probably going to play for LSU, I mean. Oh, yeah? I don't know what, but if, it happens, <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, he will. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, man, my daughter don't agree. But anyway, I've got two things. Okay. I'm changing the subject, but LSU baseball, to me, they have everything they need to to win a you know college World Series. You you agree? Disagree? I agree. You agree? Yeah. No. I mean, I okay. they, they they haven't shown me in any form of a misstep yet. But it, they got pitching, hitting, defense. Yep. Not too much more you can you can ask for, you know. Yeah, no, I'm Step with you. Maybe base run, you know. Yeah, I mean. But anyway, you're going to run into base running ahead. issues. Bye. Okay, I got another question. I'll probably hit some nerves with this, but I don't care. Did you read the story about the kid from Detroit, Mercer? Yes, Antoine Davis. That, yes. Yes. Think she got cheated? Yes. Did you read that? I did. Uh, Well, (laughs) I made a comment entitled, man. I mean, I know one person's going to come after me for that. I know he's going to call in a minute. Uh, But can't tell me that's not where it is. No, I I agree with you. I mean, look, I I know the, the 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 young man was only four points away from breaking the record, and I would have loved to see the record be broken just because it it's a record that everybody thought would never be broken. And when you see history like that, it's it's really cool. But here's the thing: a fourteen and nineteen team can't play in a postseason tournament. You just can't. Is that now? Now, if I'm the CBI, was there a part of me that thought that the CBI might put them in anyway just so every eye, every pair of eyes in the country would be on them to watch Antoine Davis break the record? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I thought it could but, happen. No, I agree. But do you think there was a conspiracy that people called and donated money and you know, to make sure they, they wouldn't. I don't believe that. A conspiracy? No. Do I do I think that there were a couple of people that probably called and begged the tournament to not take them? Yeah, I do. I believe that, but I don't believe people put money. But, up yeah did did, did did they did they put a coalition together to keep people to keep Detroit Mercy out of the CBI? No, I don't think so. No. Neither do I. Hey, look, man, good talking to y'all, man. I'll get back with y'all later. Enjoy y'all show, man. T, appreciate it as always. Yeah, I mean, look, I I know people, the the Pete Maravich record is, is a very sensitive subject. I would have loved to see the record get broken. Just to witness the history of a record that has stood for, for 50 years. I understand that, you know, Davis played two years longer than Pete, and Pete didn't have a three-point line, and I, I get all of that. I'm not taking anything away from what Pete was able to accomplish, because you can't. 
But my thing is, why does it matter that he played two years longer? Why does it matter that he has a three-point line? Just appreciate the fact that he came four points away, that you got to see history. I mean, this young man averaged 28 points a game his entire college career. That's impressive. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we talked with Chris Rosevaglu earlier about Saints' new running back Jamal Williams. Hear from him in his introductory press conference next. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Presented by Mr. Bill's Seafood Express, Southwest Beverage Company, Line of Bed out of Westlake, and the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Tune in tonight at 6 as host Jim Gazzolo will be talking with baseball coach Justin Hill. And you can hear it all right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the McNeese Coaches Show. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 521 here on your Wednesday. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Earlier this week, last weekend... Jamal Williams was officially introduced as a member of the New Orleans Saints and offered some great insight into why he picked the Saints, what he will do in Louisiana, and much more. Uh, And he talked about what made him choose the New Orleans Saints. Honestly, I just like the team. Honestly, it kind of came out of nowhere. But at the same time, I just love how they had interest in me and, you know, just showed that they wanted me to be here. And honestly, I'm just proud to be part of a great team like this. Uh, a lot of vets on it, a lot of uh, a team that has a lot of players that know, you know, what playoffs is, what, when the Super Bowl is. So I'm just grateful to be here and be part of a team that already knows how to win and, and knows what to do. So I'm just coming in and just bringing my part in here. It came out of nowhere for sure. Um, James, did you hear the report about how long discussions went on? Yeah, so reports had said that it took about 15 or so minutes. From the time that Jamal Williams' agent was first contacted by the New Orleans Saints for the deal to be agreed upon, took 16 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now that's, that's efficiency right that's there. That's absurd. So, hey, we're not messing around. Here's what we're going to do. We want Jamal to come play for the Saints, and we're going to pay him accordingly. We're going to give you three years, $12 million, $8 million of it's going to be guaranteed. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. That's easy. And Jamal Williams kind of talked about how he manifested this of sorts. Yeah. But the funny part is, is like, I feel like I manifested this kind of. Like manifested it because uh, Coach Thomas, he a great dude. He a great dude. And it was just we was uh, like not really talking at the Super Bowl. Like we was just catching up, saying, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, just talking a little bit. And the last thing I said to him, like when we was just breaking off, was like, "I'll see you soon." I just said it, you know. It's like, "I'll see you soon." Not bye, nothing like that. See you soon. 
So now that, that really stick in my head, I'm like, hmm, look what God undid that made the blessings happen. And now I'm here at this great facility, this great team. And you know, I just can't wait to get to work. And I just love that people think they know me. You know what I mean? So I can't wait to prove people wrong this year too. So it's business. This is all business. You see me smiling, but I'm here for business, just to let y'all know. You see him smiling, but he's here for business. Now, what's interesting about that conversation, a lot of people have worried about, oh, he's just a power back. The only reason he scored so many touchdowns was because he scored so many of them from inside the five-yard line. So what? So what? How many of you can how many of you can score from one yard out? How many of y'all can get a yard? Who ca- who cares? Whether it's from five yards or eighty, still seven points. Mm-hmm. Still put up six. I don't care. I don't care where you get it from. And then kind of Jamal had expanded on that, talking about how he's being called out for scoring so many touchdowns, but from so close to the goal line. Like how people say, you know, 17 touchdowns and then, you know, you're always going to have haters who just hate. And, you know, they don't, the first thing they hate on is they're all goal line runs. Whipty freaky do. I'm, I'm glad that y'all figured that out. Great for you. <laughs> like, most people can't even get to one yard, but you want to talk. Yeah, that's why, I, that's why I don't watch TV because yeah. a lot of people watch it be commenting things that they don't know what they're talking about. But at the end of the day, like, I, I like that, though. I want y'all to think that I'm only a goal line runner. So when I get into the open field and I start breaking them, I don't want to hear nobody talking about, oh, he got this, he could do it. I don't want to hear none of that. Go back to call me what you thought I was, because what I like to do is prove people wrong. So I can't wait. The honesty. The pure honesty that comes out of what he says. He said, whoopty freaking do. How many of you could get a yard? I don't know many NFL players that would have actually said that. They'd have thought it. They'd have said it away from the mic. I don't know many guys that would have actually said it on the mic. You know who he reminds me of in press conferences, James? No, not you. He reminds me of Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I mean, just tell it how it is. Very blunt. He's going to tell you like it is. He doesn't particularly enjoy talking to the media. I don't know. Jamal Williams might. Jamal, Jamal, <laughs> Jamal's a little more excited about it. Marshawn, Marshawn didn't like talking to anybody that he didn't necessarily hey, trust. Marshawn, and I don't blame you. Marshawn was just there so he didn't get fined. Exactly. So Jamal Williams was asked on his thoughts of being the number two of a one-two punch with Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I've always been always been grateful to be able to be partner up with great backs. And so I'm just grateful to be here with Alvin and, you know, just get to work, you know. And the great thing about it is it's just a positive competition. I'm all about positive competition. I'm about pushing my teammates to the best that they can be and them pushing me. And that's the only way that we can get better, iron sharpers iron, so that when we go out there and face another team, we already know that we, we can go out there and execute and win. So I'm just here to just keep pushing my teammates any type of way I can. And, you know, we already know what the main goal is for us in the season. So winning. That's it. So I'm just ready to go, man. I'm just I'm really excited. That's all. 
And then, of course, this might be the most important question that he was asked of the entire press conference. When you go to college in Utah and spend most of your NFL career in Detroit, coming to South Louisiana is going to be a culture shock from people to food to lifestyle, all of it. So from the food perspective, which we do very well down here, what Louisiana foods is Jamal Williams going to try first? Like when I said I was coming here, the first thing my girlfriend said was, ooh, you got to try some baguettes, bougetti, beignettes, beignettes. You got to try the beignets, beignets, the beignets. You got to try them beignets. So I was like, I still haven't tried it yet, but it's a donut, right? Oh, that might be too much for me. Okay, well, that, uh, <laughs> crawfish, but I don't want the head on it, though. I can't do it. I'm a little squeamish. Like, it's just the, I don't do well with dead things that are still intact with the head on it. Like, it's looking at me, I can, I just can't do it. But if it's, if somebody do it for me, then I, I'll demolish that thing. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yeah, but I love seafood, but. I know seafood is here. I know that for sure. But them beignettes, yeah, I'm going to have to try those. Try those next time. <laughs> A beignetti? Beignet. <laughs> where, where do you read beignet and go beignetti? It's probably because he had seen it like once, but it's kind of like a skimming. You're like, it's like a... There's like a B and there's a E. Now, here's the thing. There's an N somewhere. If somebody from out of town would have called it a big net, I wouldn't say anything. Yeah, where's that big net? I wouldn't say anything. Because if you spell it out, it's what it is. But you and I both know that in South Louisiana, nothing is said the way it is written. Yeah, verot's vero. Honestly, I still say Verot, but sure. I, I, I still I still catch myself still saying Verot, but knowing that it is supposed to be Vero. E-A-U-X is O. Mm-hmm. That don't make sense. Boudreaux. Right. That don't make sense. Gotro. So I, I could I could get it if you said it exactly how it was spelled, but Ben Yeti. That's that's a I've never heard that one before. That's new. Been yeah. Oh man, Jamal Williams is gonna be so much fun in New Orleans because it's not just on the field, but him talking off the field, like in the locker room. Oh, he's such we, a locker room you, guy. Because you talked about how C.J. Gardner Johnson, he was a big piece of bringing the energy. So you didn't have that last year in that locker room. Jamal's gonna bring that. I wrote an article for. So on on the side, I I write for Canal Street Chronicles covering the Saints, and I wrote an article on Jamal Williams that's actually going to come out tomorrow, and I actually touched on that exact point, James. I C.J. Gardner Johnson when he left the Saints, there was a swagger and an energy that left the team that Jamal Williams is about to put right back. So very excited to see what he does. We'll take a timeout. Bob Pockers joins us next to talk all things NASCAR right here on The Game.
This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The tournament's still heating up. We're in the Sweet 16 at this point, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's going to be $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will cut down the nets. I'm going to take Houston. Alabama, and Creighton to win their Sweet 16 matchups, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash KLWB to sign up. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana and permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only, $10 deposit required. Refund issued is nominal drawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. 536, let's talk some NASCAR as they head to Austin, Texas for the first road course race of the season thus far at Circuit of the Americas. Bob Pachris is a NASCAR analyst for Fox Sports. He joins us on the game hotline. Bob, really appreciate you taking the time. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. So the season thus far has been very interesting, especially with Chase Elliott missing just about all of it with a with a snowboarding accident. Joey Logano picked up a win last week at Atlanta with the new banking system. William Byron has had a great start to the year, but now he's kind of hindered with with, with the penalty that that Hendrick Motorsports received late last week. What are your thoughts on, on the season thus far? <laughs> well, it's certainly been unpredictable. Uh, my thoughts are that the Hendrick. Uh, teams in the Chevrolets are pretty strong this year. Uh, obviously, you know, Hendrick has the penalties. They're appealing. Not, ex- I, I, I'm maybe in the minority, but I don't think they're going to have, uh, you know, a, a win on appeal or, or, or not a massive uh, reduction, but I think they're going to be able to come back from that. I think all four of those drivers will win races as long as Chase Elliott does come back in the next, you know, four weeks or so depending on how he recovers from his broken leg. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's been an, said, an interesting year uh, with some drama, and I think that will continue this weekend when they turn left and right at Circuit of the Americas. Yeah, you know, it's always interesting when they get on these road courses, like you just said, turning left and right. You know, Chase Elliott's kind of been – the the king of the road course over the last couple of years. Kyle Larson has had some success there as well, winning three races in the last two seasons. But Ross Chastain winning the way he did last year at Coda, w- w- would you say that he's one of the favorites for this weekend? I would say so, and not just because of that, but because of the because of their strength so far this year. You know, you're talking about a guy who has won uh, three stages, doesn't have a race win yet, but ranked third in points and 
and and you know it probably would be higher. He'd probably be the points leader if Denny Hamlin didn't take him out at Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. So yes, he'll be one of the favorites. I you know Tyler Reddick won two road course races last year, but now he's driving Toyota for twenty three eleven. What does that mean for him? And on the flip side, Kyle Busch is getting in that car for that team that won two road course races last year. Will he be a, someone who'll be tough? Uh, who'll be up there near the front, near the end? I wouldn't be surprised if he is. You know, after Coda, April's going to be a, an incredibly intriguing month because you look at the schedule. You start at a short track with Richmond, and then you go to a dirt track at Bristol. And then you go back to a short track with Martinsville before hitting a super speedway like Talladega. And then you round it out with another short track at Dover. A lot of short track racing in a, in a short period of time. Which teams do you think have the advantage with that style of racing? Oh, that's a great question. I would say right now from what you saw at Phoenix, I would think the, uh, the Chevrolet's will be strong. Uh, I look at a driver like Kyle Larson. Obviously, he needs a win. He, he nearly won uh, Vegas, nearly won Phoenix. So uh, so I would say that he's he's going to be a, a tough one to uh, – he's going to be somebody you're going you're gonna to have to beat. And, you know, as far as maybe some others, Kyle Busch, I know I would never rule out. And then, you know, you're talking about Richmond and Martinsville – and when you talk about those places, I think you still got to look at Denny Hamlin and say, you know, he knows how to get around those places, and he's obviously itching for a win as well. Chat with Bob Pockers of Fox Sports here on Crunch Time. The All-Star Race coming up in May, very interesting that is going to be back at, at Wilkesboro. You know, what's kind of been the vibe around the NASCAR community about going back to Wilkesboro, opening Wilkesboro back up for an event like the All-Star Race? Yeah, for, for the first cup rate event there in like 20 uh, in 26 years, you, you, you call it NASCAR's Field of Dreams moment, right? I mean, there there's they'll try to fit as many people as they can in the stands, but this is going to be one of those uh, it'll be one of those throwback events. It's it's not for points, so drivers can uh, can maybe take some chances that they wouldn't normally take, and you know it's you should look uh, should look great on. TV as well, you know, looking for something to kind of uh, make the all-star race a little bit more exciting, a little bit more must-see TV, and I think when, by taking it to North Wilkesboro, they've certainly done that. Uh, as we start to wrap up, Bob, you know, looking at the, the season so far, William Byron has two wins, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch, and then Ricky Stenhouse. Logano and Busch, not surprising. They've been near the top of NASCAR for the last couple of years. William Byron has just kind of been on the outside looking in, ready to bust into that threshold. And then Ricky Sten Stenhouse Jr. kind of came out of nowhere in your opinion, who has kind of surprised you the most so far this year, whether it be in, in a positive light or a negative light? Well, I mean, you know, it's not a huge surprise that Stenhouse won the Daytona 500, but the fact that he was able to get it done, I think you would include him on that list. Uh, you got to look at Corey LaJoy, a guy who's 14th in points, who typically is hovering around 25th. So what a great start for, for LaJoy. Had his career best finish last week at Atlanta, finishing fourth. Uh, when you talk about people who are struggling, I, 
I would say you look at uh, you look at Eric Jones and Eric Amarola, two drivers who have several years of experience in the series, both outside the top twenty in points. They've both been fast at times. Man, if you if you find that in car video of Eric Jones at the end of Atlanta, that that's some fun watching. And Amarola just as you know, he was leading when he blew a tire at Atlanta. So both those drivers, I would say, you know, probably looking for a little bit more than what they've got. What they've at least had finish-wise in the first five races. They're going to run 68 laps on Sunday afternoon. Bob, if you had to pick a winner right now, who wins at Coda? Oh, put me on the spot. Well, I would say i I maybe go out a little bit of a limb, not too much, but I would say Daniel Suarez. He had the best car there last year, won the first stage, and then got caught up in track position. He won at Sonoma last year. Uh track house is doing well so uh, maybe a little bit of an upset maybe considering just he hasn't won since last year in Sonoma but I go with Daniel Suarez. Bob Pockers of Fox Sports joining us here on Crunch Time. Bob appreciate your time as always have a great weekend at Austin and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right thank you very much. And there he goes, Bob Pockers from Fox Sports. We'll take a time out come back here from Jerry Glasgow and wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's crawfish time, and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, is giving you the chance to win everything you need to throw the ultimate crawfish boil. With the game's ultimate crawfish boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, and Iron Horse Sales and Service. Register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com to score a $500 Visa gift card, a boiling pot, a burner, a paddle, ice chest, tumblers and chairs, and two giant sacks of live crawfish. And if that's not enough, we'll throw in a pair of Astros tickets, too. Enter in the Game Rewards Club for the Ultimate Crawfish Boil giveaway cooked up by St. Landry Lumber, Cody's Crawfish, Iron Horse Sales and Service, and the game, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Crunch Time, wrapping up today's show right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, Louisiana Raging Cajuns softball getting prepared for their weekend series here at home against App State for three games. Uh, Friday at 6, Saturday at 4, and then Sunday morning at 11 a.m. due to travel. App State's got to get back to Boone, North Carolina, so the game has to end by a certain time in order for that to happen. So the game's going to get started a little early on Sunday It's alumni weekend. I know they've got some great things planned over at Lampson Park. There's going to be an Easter egg hunt for the kids Saturday after the game. There's also going to be an alumni home run derby after the Saturday game. So definitely something you'd want to check out. And then, of course, the kids get to run the bases after the game on Sunday, being that it is family day for Ragin' Cajun softball. Earlier this week, Cajun's softball head coach Jerry Glasgow 
met with the media, and we talked about an array of things from their expectations this weekend against the Mountaineers, the start to conference with the sweep of Southern Miss on the road, and the issues of still trying to piece together the lineup. But one of the biggest things that Coach Glasgow said that really stuck out was talking about their non-conference schedule and how difficult it was. You remember that tournament in Clearwater where they played seven ranked matchups and six of them were in the top 25, I mean, in the top 10. And he talked about how his team is really hoping to see the benefits from that tougher non-conference schedule in conference play. Yeah, I think that without a doubt, you can start to see now the toughness of the ball club. But there's a, it's a, the class of playing that. When you play that type of schedule, it gives your team uh, class. Um, then it shows up in those games in Sunbelt. Uh, I thought the, all the responses throughout the weekend, the moments probably didn't seem quite as big as they would have if we hadn't played the schedule that we played. But when you've been in that 3-2 game with UCLA, two out in the seventh inning, that's a big moment, far bigger than anything that you're in this weekend. And so I'm hoping that we'll see benefit from that throughout the year. And then Coach Glasgow discussed, you know, when you look at the Cajuns lineup, it's ever-changing. Every every game there there seems to be – players getting mixed in and out. And and the reason for that is because the Cajuns really have a good problem right now in the fact that they have maybe too much talent. You know, you look at it and players like Lauren Allred and Cecilia Vasquez, who you might not have expected to rely on so heavily in their freshman seasons, have proven that they deserve to be out there. And so now the coaching staff for the Raging Cajuns has, a, has an issue on their hands trying to figure out who's going to be in the lineup consistently when you get in deep into conference play. You know, I want, I want everybody to earn it, and they want to earn it. They don't want anything to give to them. They want to earn it. And I think that's all part of that confidence factor, you know, that you gain when I'm joining up five RBIs and two at-bats. And if you look back at, the like, the last ten games, she's got six RBIs. So that will give her the opportunity to, to showcase how good she is in a big moment and, and make a statement to our ball club. And I thought she hammered home that point. So I'm really proud of her as a coach and in her effort in those moments. So there's a lot going on there where you're just trying to find yourself and find ways to, to for your team to find themselves. And, and that's why I'm really optimistic. I don't feel like we've played anywhere near our best ball. I don't think we've put our best lineup on the field yet. I think it's coming. He also talked about how he challenged the older players to keep hold of their spot in the starting lineup. He mentioned Jordan Campbell just now keeping her spot on the starting nine. You know, I was looking at the stats the last couple of weeks, and I was trying to challenge the upperclassmen a little bit this weekend. I wanted to I wanted to grow the freshman class because obviously we're having to play them a little bit more and they're playing bigger roles than what I expect them to in January February. Because of circumstances, injuries, things out of their control, we put them out there, and now they've, they've really become an important part of our team. So, yeah, I want to put pressure on them. At the same time, <clears throat> I want the upperclassmen to not feel pressure. I want them to realize, like, we can win without you. You know, you don't have to do anything. We can win without you. But then 
we need you. And in that moment, you know, like yesterday, I have a choice. I can let Kylie Griffith bat or I can put Jordan Campbell up there. And I want Jordan Campbell to know, like, you got experience. Like, you should be better in this moment. And then Coach Glasgow wrapped up his press conference talking about his expectations for their conference opener at home, their home conference opener against App State. I want to see us grow. I want to see us go out and be a more dominant team in every area of the game. Like, I'm, I'm ready to see us play a really – we're not played a good game yet, like a really good game. <clears throat> I want to see us put it together where we're good on defense, on offense, and pitching all at one time. Um, and that was kind of – I think, you know, we saw a little bit of that at Florida. I think the offense could have been better in a one to nothing win. But I thought our pitching and defense was good. <clears throat> uh, I thought our pitching and defense was re- uh, really good in parts of the UCLA game. There was a couple of really big defensive plays. But I still don't think we put that game together, a complete game where we put it all together. And I, I'd like to see, you know, in one of these three games this weekend, you can't play a perfect game every day. I want to see one game where we put it together, defense, offense, and pitching, and see what it looks like. And then – once we find it one time, and I hope we can find it on a regular basis more often. And that's going to just about do it for today's edition of Crunch Time right here on The Game. I want to thank our guest today, Chris Rosevaglu and Bob Pockris for joining us. Come back tomorrow. It's our Friday tomorrow right here on Crunch Time as LSU Women's Basketball will, will trump our show on Friday. But tomorrow we're going to have Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. He's going to come talk to us about spring football as well as the NCAA tournament. We will preview some of the Sweet 16 matchups taking place tomorrow and much more. Same time, 4-6, to six, right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Jim Gazzolo and the McNeese Coaches Show with head baseball coach Justin Hill coming up next right here on the game.